0: guest is uh, Christopher Snowden, who's with the Institute for Economic Affairs, um, also a widely known author, commentator, and longtime blogger at the um, very insightful and entertaining blog called Velvet Glove, Iron Fist, which I believe is also the title of a, a book you did a few years back on history of yeah. t- tobacco activism. But why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, uh, the Institute for Economic Affairs and your work on studying tobacco control?
1: Sure. Yeah, I mean the Institute of Economic Affairs is a free market think tank, um, in London. One of the very first think tanks ever set up, in 1955. Um, I've been there for about ten years now. My research into this area actually precedes that. As as you say, I wrote a book called Velvet Glove Iron Fist: A History of Anti Smoking, in 2009. Um, and funnily enough, I think I mean it took me several years to write that book, and just as it was going to print pretty much I, I discovered e-cigarettes so this is kind of um early part of 2009 i think i first tried an e-cigarette i was quite a prolific smoker um at the time one of the things that got me interested in the topic um and uh yeah i tried one of the early cigarette e-cigarettes and it was absolutely terrible and um kept you know experimenting with them from time to time because it Seemed an interesting development, but it wasn't until 2011 or maybe even 2012 that I switched completely. But I have switched um, completely accidentally to e-cigarettes. I'm very interested in the politics um, around that, um, yeah, both kind of professionally at the IEA and on a personal level.
0: Right, right, right. Well, now I wonder. Are you, I'm curious. Are, were you a Silk
1: Cut uh,
0: uh, customer? I wonder. I know there's a, a variety of different brands in the UK.
1: There's lots of brands. Do you want me to give one a plug? I, um, <laughs> I would main, mainly smoke Marlboro, and well, actually, it depended. I think as the price went up, I started down downgrading. But uh, my preferred brands were Marlboro Reds and Lucky Strikes. Oh starts. my gosh, those are like the, the
0: those are the hard those are the, hard the hardcore good Americans. Exactly. Cigarette. Well, I, you know, it's funny. Yeah. I recall when I, I I went to school in Ireland, uh, and when I was there, I used to uh, I, the, the Marlboros did not taste the same as the American Marlboros. It must have been a different tobacco. I wonder.
1: It might have been that, or it may well have been the tar and nicotine limits, which came ah. in around uh, about, about two thousand and three. I can't remember exactly when, but the EU brought in some tar limits, which made them not as good. Right, right, right.
0: <laughs> well, we ended up. Uh, I know I don't know if they do this as much in the UK, but a lot of the Irish kids I hung around with would do roll their own cigarettes, which was both you know more cost effective and you know maybe taste a little better too. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's very popular in the UK. I mean, the price of cigarettes over here is ridiculous. You know, it's about 13 pounds now, which is what, probably about 20 bucks for a pack of 20. And so the the roll your own market has been increasing for a very long time. And about 50% of it is uh, illegal, basically. Um, People bring it in from other countries.
0: Oh, no kidding. So it's like a 50% of the market is a gray market in effect?
1: Well, outright black market. I mean, you can bring or you used to be able to bring a certain amount in from the European Union. Of course, we've left the European Union now, so you can only bring a very small amount in. Um, But at that time, you could bring in quite a bit for yourself legally. But a lot of people were bringing a lot in and selling it illegally. So, yeah, for the roll your own market, which is I mean, it tends to be, you know, as you've already kind of alluded to, as the price goes up, you have to keep stepping down in, in price. And once you can't even afford rolling tobacco, then it's a black market on. Really. Right.
0: Is it, You know, you're making me think about a piece that appeared in the Wall Street Journal yesterday um, in, in their essay section by Dr. Tom Frieden, who was the former head of the uh, American regulator FDA, um, major honcho in U.S. public health, who has since strolled through the revolving door and is now the highest paid employee at Vital Strategies, which is one of the one of the Bloomberg Constellation's most lavishly funded outfits. And uh, part of his piece was was urging, you know, higher taxes on cigarettes and vaping products, of course. And um, he was keen to say that, you know, because of the elasticity uh, in in the taxation, he thinks there's a, you know, an effect that people, you know, diminish their smoking. And I'm sure that's an argument you've encountered
1: in the UK, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just the law of demand, really. It's not particularly controversial. I mean, um, it, it all depends on the price elasticity and demand for cigarettes is obviously very inelastic. So you put the price up and people continue by certainly continue smoking, um, and they might reduce their consumption a little bit. Americans always used to laugh at Brits, um, you know, going back decades, that we'd always smoke our cigarettes right to the end of the filter, but we're just trying to get our money's worth. Um, So yeah, I mean, obviously there is an element of truth that if you put the price up, you will see consumption fall to some extent. Um, But it's not as simple as that. Partly there are kind of issues of equity And, you know, lot of people will not change their consumption. And so all you're doing is taking money off them. And I saw an incredible statistic. I can't remember the exact number, so forgive me. But the gist of it, this is from an economic study published a few months ago. It was something like, um, you know, 90% of all sin taxes. So that's taxes on alcohol, soda and cigarettes in America. Something in the region of 90% of these taxes are paid by about 10% of the population. You know, so they're, they're incredibly regressive for, for a minor, minority of people. So that's one of the issues. The other issue is the black market. So um, yes, people will respond to a price increase to some extent, but not necessarily in the way you want it to. So the price of legal cigarettes you know, it doesn't necessarily reflect every option. So the price of the illegal cigarettes comes into play. And the more you widen that difference... The more appealing it is, of course, to go for black market cigarettes. And Frieden, yeah, uh, uh, you know, he should know that. He used to work in New York, yes. right? I mean, more than more than fifty percent of the cigarettes consumed in New York come from neighboring states. Right, right, right. Well, it's you know, it's, it's it's
0: striking to me how the you know public health advocates who are keen on any sort of you know the progressive hierarchy of uh, you know policy objectives throw all that out the window when it comes to taxing nicotine. So, for example, you know, they'll preach to the high heavens about helping you know, low income minority communities, but then when their policies, you know, say on outlawing menthol cigarettes or, you know, taxing um, or the way that small businesses, for example, in the five boroughs of New York that serve low income communities, we had a guest a few weeks ago that had her vape shops in Harlem shut down. Most of her customers were, you know, like low income minority citizens of New York City trying valiantly to quit smoking. Um, when those effects occur, suddenly all the, you know, the progressive pieties just go out the window.
1: Yeah, and they employ various rhetorical tricks to delude themselves that that's not actually what's happening. So one of the popular ones is to say that actually these taxes are progressive because it's the poor who benefit most from them in terms of their health. Um, you hear this, actually, Mike Bloomberg right. said this explicitly a few years ago. He said, right, yeah, these taxes are aggressive and that's the good thing about right. them. His exact words. Because it's he basically said it's the poor who need to pull their socks up. I mean, he's pretty nakedly paternalistic about that. Right. This. Um, but so you get this argument with soda taxes, for example. Well, oh, diabetes is regressive. Well, what lung cancer is regressive, and therefore anything that reduces it is actually progressive. Well, firstly, that's just not what regressive means, right? Regressive is an economics concept. It can only really be applied in economics as a strict meaning that you take a greater share of income from the poor than from the rich. So everything else is sophistry, really. Uh, and secondly, it doesn't actually even play out like that. Um, I mean, you, if you're in a kind of ivory tower and you don't hang around with normal people, you can probably persuade yourself that a tax is going to have a bigger effect on the consumption of the poor because the poor, of course, are least able to, to pay the tax. And there's a kind of superficial logic to that. But every piece of real-world evidence across the board for many years has shown the opposite. You know, So, again, going to New York, because there was a study... Mm-hmm specifically in new york but it applies everywhere you know in the 1960s 1970s smoking rates were pretty much even across the the classes um you know there was a lot of smoking but the, the poor weren't particularly more likely to smoke than rich people and over time as the price of cigarettes has gone up and that's been the main anti smoking policy pretty much everywhere in the west you've seen this gap widen um to an extraordinary degree now where very very few people in the kind of professional managerial classes smoke and a relatively large proportion um, of pe- people in blue-collar work smoke, and a huge proportion of homeless people yeah. smoke. So you've actually got exactly the opposite phenomenon, as you might expect if you think that price is the only driver in this. And, of course, the reason for that is price is actually quite a, a, a trivial driver. in Right.
0: I mean, you're making me think. One of my one of my favorite uh, examples of this was a few weeks ago, the, the FDA beat writer for Politico, um, Catherine Foley, was tweeting about how much she wishes that uh the various institutions and sources that she cites would offer more women as sources for her because she's you know sick and tired of quoting um you know older established guys. And the very next piece she had out, we'd given her our, our head of AVM, Amanda Wheeler, we'd given her an hour-long interview, chock full of you know great quotes. And she ignored all of them so that she could instead quote Matt Myers from CTFK and Michael Bloomberg. <laughs> and so, it's, I mean, it's mm. like, again, it's, you know, they, they, they lo- love to the posture about their progressive bona fides, but the moment that bumps up against their policy preferences is just, you know, right out the window.
1: Yes. Yes. I can. Well, Well, that. you're making me
0: think too, Christopher, where one of our, one of my little PR uh, flackery ideas is uh we've been keeping a list of journalists who smoke. Um, there's not many, but there's some, And so we're going to put together, you know, small little sample care packages of a sort uh, to help introduce them to nicotine vaping so that they can uh, get off their cigarette habit. And our hope is to do a little of the, you know, conversion one at a time.
1: Yes, well, it's a good idea. I'm surprised you're not breaking some law or other. You Whether know, I, I they are, well, you
0: know, as you might imagine, in, P- in PR flackery, that we're 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 glad to blur that line a little bit, and and in this case, we're you know providing a sample of the product that they are you know covering and thinking about, and hell's bells, if they want to send me a check for a hundred bucks, I'd gladly cash it.
1: Yeah, but it's, uh, I mean, it's um, I'm sure there are probably some countries where it's illegal to hand out free samples of e-cigarettes possibly this one i don't i don't actually know what the what the law is but it's certainly the kind of thing i imagine the fda would look well that's a good uh even if it's only to confirm well
0: right yeah well it's actually a good a good segue into into what we can expect next in the you know broad regulatory crackdown i guess in the u.s and beyond too because so many other countries of course uh you know follow or mimic uh u.s regulatory approaches and as you know Uh, Just a few days ago, Congress handed FDA the authority to regulate synthetic nicotine, which is not a tobacco product at all, not derived from tobacco, completely distinct. And to my mind, therefore, entirely, no doubt about it, outside FDA's proper jurisdiction. But nevertheless, it gave them, you know, what is now a full, comprehensive, stranglehold on the whole of the vaping industry you know at least until some new innovative workaround arises and it sets the stage for a you know across the board crackdown much like they initiated uh, over the last year denying market applications to you know all but a you know vanishingly tiny fraction of the market so i guess uh, i don't don't want to put you on the spot to a forecast but how do you see the current state of regulation and where do you think we're headed
1: well i think um you know it's not going to be outright prohibition clearly the fda have have authorized at least some products even though it's completely destroyed the the kind of grassroots industry um so i think vaping will survive albeit with uh, you know Fewer flavors. I actually i am, about, about the only person around who actually vapes unflavored nicotine <laughs> I've done for years. Um, so, uh, well, wait a second. Let me, me let me let me, but, let me right. interject
0: there. Uh, tell tell me more about that. Do you yeah. mean you're you're vaping tobacco flavor or no flavor whatsoever?
1: No, no flavor at all. I hate the tobacco flavor. Uh, I don't think it tastes anything like tobacco for a start. So what I and I know I'm 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 unusual. I'm not in any way promoting you know, bans on anything but unflavored nicotine uh, fluid, but. Um, when I started vaping, I kind of I obviously tried lots of different ones, and the pineapple and the strawberry and all this kind of stuff. And I just find it really annoying to have these kind of strong fruit, fruit flavors in my mm-hmm. mouth all day long because I vape a yeah. lot. I'm constantly kind of me too on the e um, So I went into a shop and they said, look, give me the blandest thing you've got kind of thing. And they gave me one which was subsequently discontinued called RY4 or something, but it had a fairly a subtle mm-hmm. fruity flavor and then as i said i got discontinued so I, I tried another one and then when the eu regulations came in loads of flavours came off the market just because it was so expensive to put every single one of them through right. the authorization system and again mine happened to be one that obviously wasn't selling very well so they they uh, discontinued that and i was thinking what am i going to do i actually bought up the entire stock in this shop knowing this i could see it was being depleted and it wasn't being replenished i bought all the stock but then of course i got through I've that i've been there too and um and he said to the, yeah, I bet that happens a lot recently in America. Um, and I, the guy basically said, well, have you considered trying unflavored? And I actually hadn't considered that as an option because I've never really seen any unflavored. And even now, it's quite hard to get. I have to get it on mail order because they don't generally have it in the shops. Um, I know people just use it for mixing if they use it at all. Anyway, that's kind of by the by. So I, I vape unflavored. And I'm, well, I think that's one of the,
0: you're touching on what I think is one of the great sort of unsung aspects of, of the innovation of nicotine vaping, which is, the, the the you know incredible variety of ways that people use and adapt it to their own nicotine use as a means to quit and that includes you know flavors and mixing and different strengths and different devices and you know that's because tell me if i'm wrong here but 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 i believe that that, that tobacco science has studied the the ways in which people's habits you know, have a very individualized, distinct, uh, you know, dynamic to them. The way that the, the situations in which people smoke or the things that trigger them to have a craving or the, the, you know, the the way they interact with the product is very individualized. And in in, 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 a, in a, an uncanny way, nicotine vaping has kind of solved that. It lets you customize your own experience uh, as opposed to the kind of, the, you know, the brute force, you know, of a of a patch, let's say, by comparison. And, you know, that ought to be celebrated. I mean, that's a really hard thing to zero in on, the individualized ways that people interact with nicotine. And yet here they're able to do it, solve it on their own. And it's never mentioned, never discussed, let alone applauded. And I think that's just such a shame.
1: Well, if anything, it's condemned, isn't it? Yeah. Because, you know, if you try and these products appealing to people, you're accused of trying to appeal to, to children. Um, but no, I mean, it's been a great example of what john stuart mill called uh, experiments in living you know people have, I mean, so the, the market at work you know, you know people tried different things the reason i didn't get on with the initial cigar and they never really took off is i didn't like the tobacco flavor and they're only available in tobacco flavor they weren't strong enough didn't pack enough uh, of a punch and once the second generation devices came along and you could adapt them a bit more and get the right nicotine strength and get the right kick from the Atomizer and, importantly, the the right flavour. That's when things really started to grow very organically in the UK without anybody from public health getting involved, without the government getting involved. It happened very naturally. And before you knew, there was a booming e-cigarette business and a lot of people just spontaneously, just like me, spontaneously giving up smoking. And then, of course, the government blunders in Several years after the things happened, and decides that what, what's needed here is regulation. And the EU regulation isn't that bad, actually, compared to America, and obviously a lot better than places that banned vaping outright. Um, but it's still, you know, it's hindered the market. And, and in this sense, hindering the market basically means it is not getting as many smokers to switch to something that might save their life as it could well, I, yes okay so it's a bit different to the normal kind of you know finance talk about markets there is a i would argue a more of a kind of moral dimension oh. yep sorry sorry
0: there's just a glitch chris you still there
1: yeah i am okay. yeah i can
0: hear you sorry sorry well you're making me think of how i'm sort of torn about the way that nicotine vaping is such an example of Friedrich Hayekian decentralization to borrow a economics concept um, which on the one hand is great like it sort of proves Hayek was right that decentralized systems operate in efficient unforeseen ways that can benefit people outside of central control but on the other hand despite that incredible effect incredible upside it's had uh, the government is still keen to strangle it and so that's pessimistic I I don't know my my describing Hayek's Hayek's dynamics Accurately
1: there? Yeah, basically, yes. I mean, generally speaking, economists believe that, you know, so long as there aren't significant market failures or negative externalities, then you'll get the best outcomes from leaving people alone and leaving markets free. Um but you know, government comes in thinking that there are market failures when there usually aren't, overreaches, creates a whole load of government failure. Uh, And in the case of the anti-vaping campaign, particularly in recent years, I mean, this has not been some, um, you know, accident or mistake. You've got incredibly well-funded groups. You mentioned Vital Strategies already. That's just one of a number of Bloomberg's front groups. $160 million spent uh, trying to get bans on e-cigarette flavors alone, let alone all the other stuff he does, funding the WHO. So you've got the WHO, you've got Bloomberg and his various groups, You've got the likes of the campaign for the lack of free kids, the, the genuine fanatics, you know, and um, they, you know, they, they've decided they're going to destroy this because they have a, a, a puritanical mentality, basically. Well, um, and it's appalling how, uh, you know, the, the consequences of that. Well, you know, it's it's, it's striking to me because so many of
0: the journalists that cover this story that we interact with and you know, I'm talking leading outlets, New York Times, Washington Post, Associated Press. Um, Politico, et cetera, you know, I, I I keep trying to appeal to them that if they look a little bit closer at what's happening here, it really ought to check off every box in the investigative reporter's wish list. I mean, you've got a, a megalomaniacal billionaire who's bankrolling front groups using dark money, uh, paying lobbyists to buy off corrupt congressmen who themselves uh, are investors or company owners of flavored liquor and tobacco companies using rigged science to crush American small business who created the most effective smoking cessation method ever I mean that 's like ten ticks off the invest- like the Bob Woodward wish list for an investigative piece, and you say that to them, yeah. and they just yawn at it it 's incredible
1: yeah yeah no, I, mean, I totally agree you would think it would be a you know a, a Netflix series or something really um I think one of the main reasons it isn't is because the tobacco industry got involved around um, about twenty twelve twenty thirteen and journalists if it's anything to do with tobacco mm-hmm. and of course in America e cigarettes are f- falsely mm-hmm. um, defined as tobacco products, yeah. um anything to do with tobacco they they only no one narrative really and that is that you know whoever is seen to be on the tobacco side it must be lying and they're going to look foolish as journalists if yeah. they fall for whatever the, the the story is so they're only interested in essentially uh repeating and regurgitating the scoops from the 1990s yeah. you know when all the documents you know rose they, it, 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 they they're not able to move on i don't think and they'd rather not touch it. And also, of course, it's you know the journalists are being played like everybody else by the, by the Bloomberg um, you know, complex, yeah. uh, and they have their own prejudices. And some people just don't like vaping. You know, even ex-smokers. In fact, especially ex-smokers will go, "Well, when you're really going to give up smoking, you're still smoking. You should do it cold turkey." Yeah. So there's lots of reasons why people don't like vaping. None of them stand up, and the net result is hugely counterproductive for. You know, for for public health as as well as for individual liberty. Yeah, but there's a but there's um, a but you know, it's particularly bad in America. I would have to say, and I'm a great fan of America, and I'm certainly not going to claim that Britain is perfect. But I've more or less given up writing about stuff that goes on in America because it's. I mean, by which I mean the studies, the regulation, the the scare stories, since the valley thing. Really, it just seems to me almost. And I, you won't want to hear this. I'm. I, I'm. It's great that you guys and. The others are kind of working hard to overturn these missions on, but it almost feels you're like you're up against such a a beast, you know, such a juggernaut. That how are you going to turn it around? And when I, when I read the stuff coming from America and Australia as well, actually, to name two countries, it's it's rather like when you hear about what the Russian state media is saying about the war in Ukraine. And you can't believe that the polls are showing you 95 know, percent support for Putin and that 90 percent of Russians think that the Ukrainian president is a Nazi. And You can't believe anyone could could fall for this. But then, of course, you realize that they're only being told one side of the story and they're being told it again and again and again. And it's a bit like that with, with vaping in America. Well, I was in America during the time of the so-called Uvalia yeah. outbreak and the stuff on the news just blew my mind. Yeah. Uh, having come from Britain, where you have the government and government agencies, broadly speaking, are pro-vaping, um, and you don't get anywhere near this tidal wave of misinformation, although, you know, don't get me wrong, we do get some. Um, and so you do, I just have this sense almost as if, you know, on this particular issue, America kind of acts like some kind of banana republic, <laughs> and it, it, it blows my mind, you know, and yeah, it's it's weird to see a first world country Fall for such kind of basic problems, but there's, but there's, you know, it's, it's striking to me, Christopher,
0: that there, there's a lot of examples of, of how, in other cases of, I don't know, food, beverage, let's call it public health writ large, in which the UK is sort of far worse than than, yeah, yeah. than the US. So it's just, it's even, it's even more striking. And it, you know, you're making me think of a, a BBC segment um, that Amanda appeared on. Uh, some months back. And we we have that in our Twitter uh, feed for those who would like to hear it. I'd urge you to listen to it. They did a 20 minute segment on their business program. The host was a guy named Joshua Thorpe. And uh, I was just my uh, jaw dropped at at how balanced and accurate and fair minded and level headed the conversation was. And they, you know, they allowed uh a few guests from the kind of prohibition side of the debate and had everyone had a very civil conversation and it, the, the 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 contrast between how bbc covered it with what you'd see on let's say the cbs morning show was just the difference between you know a quill pen and a crayon and um mm. and i don't want to give the bbc too much credit here okay let's you want to talk about state media like the, the bbc slants the news probably more than any other outlet you know, in in the world, in my humble opinion, and I'd be, I'd be, if, you, if you care to characterize that for our American view, American listeners, please, please do. But, you know, if, if even the BBC, big fan of all things government, can find their way clear to present a balanced discussion on vaping,
1: well, you know, that's pretty astonishing. Yeah, well, obviously it shouldn't be, you know, and the, the reason public health people in, in this country are pro vaping is because they're very anti-smoking. And you're right to say that the UK is much more of a nanny state on most issues than than America is. It's just, it's really just this one, I would say. Um, But, you know, if you're an anti-smoking fanatic and you don't think anybody should be smoking, it makes perfect sense that you're going to be pro-vaping and you're going to be encouraging people to vape. Um, And that obviously isn't the narrative that's coming out from a lot of health agencies around the world. And that is a a scandal really. But look, let me say it's, it was a pretty close run thing in, in the Mm. UK. The government's initial impulse was to ban vaping yep. in 2010, though. Um The European Union wanted to medicalize it, which would effectively mean a ban. In the UK, it was really a very small number of people in tobacco control and in public health who persuaded Public Health England um, that this was a good thing. And we had a guy from the Nudge Unit, which is this behavioural economics mm-hmm. team that was founded under David Cameron in 2010, mm-hmm. And he happened to come across an e-cigarette because he met a journalist friend of his who'd found one out in Asia or mm. something. This is about 2009, 2010. And he thought it looked interesting and he thought it looked like a good way of getting people smoking. And so while the government was thinking we're going to ban this, basically, um, this guy said, because he happened to know the Prime mm. Minister, he said, I don't think you should ban it. We should leave it alone. Now, big decisions like that shouldn't really come down to chance encounters with friends yeah. and the fact that you happen to the prime minister right but it, that's how ha- in reality um what happened in in the uk so it's not as if we're some fantastic paragon of of you know following the science a lot of this was was dumb luck
0: well yeah my strong hunch is that the bbc for as, as balanced as, as accurate as their coverage was they're doing that out of kind of you know reflexive mimicry of what the government thinks is a good idea it's not as if they're you know intrepid truth finders who are trying to help the listeners they're doing
1: you know as it's, as it's not even that it's not, it's not even the they you know toe in the government line it's just that in britain everybody's pretty chilled out about e-cigarettes that's all there is to it i mentioned that there was this big you know blossoming of, of vaping quite early on before the tobacco industry got involved before the public health people really noticed it and so very quickly everyone knew somebody who was a vapor and it stood to reason that these things were going to be, you know, relatively harmless and people could see with their own eyes that people were giving up smoking in quite large numbers. So it would have been quite hard when, by the time he gets about 2013 to put that genie back in the bottle in some other countries, it didn't get going quite as, quite as quickly or encountered resistance more Mm -hmm. quickly. Um, But people in Britain just, you know, we've got e-cigarette advertising and we've got e-cigarette shops on every high mm-hmm. streets and most corner shops will sell e-cigarettes and you know smoking rates have gone down in a, in a kind of unprecedented rate um lots of people are going around vaping no one really minds and so that permeates through to to everything including the bbc but
0: let's let's uh, there's a good opportunity to maybe dispel i think one of the you know misperceptions about vape advocacy and uh it, it's it's this i mean although although you and i christopher are you know, staunch Hayekian free marketeers. The vape advocacy world, I think, is a pretty, pretty vibrant uh, spectrum of all different, you know, political ideologies. I mean, BBC are hardly right wing conservatives after all, are they? And nor to nor nor the UK public health folks. And you're making me think of a a terrific interview you conducted a few weeks ago with the novelist uh, Lionel Shriver. Um, Again, no right winger. I mean, she's former columnist for The Guardian, one of the UK's most left leaning papers and has championed many a cause dear to the progressive movement. And yet she was a, you know, real fire eater uh, on vape advocacy. Have you have you noticed that same kind of uh, intellectual
1: diversity? Yeah, because a lot of public health people are pro vaping and public health establishment is generally very left wing. There's not many people on the center right at all in public health um but it's not it shouldn't be a, a left right issue particularly i yeah. mean i guess kind of smokers rights would be more of a right-wing libertarian issue because yeah. that's just a pure pure purely a rights issue it's kind of oh it's my body i'll do what i want whereas this is you know you can come at it from that angle but you can also come at it from a very paternalistic angle actually and you can come at it from an angle of going we want to be smoke-free by 2030 which is a government's explicit target uh, by which i mean less than five percent of people are smoking so you can come at it from all sorts of different angles and of course a lot of the advocates themselves are just vapors they're just people who gave up smoking right. having been hassled about that for most of their lives and are now being hassled about vaping they get sick right of it. and some of them come, come in and out with the movement because it's so exhausting yeah. to have to deal with it it's rubbish on a daily basis as i'm sure you know it's but it's yes yeah, it's, of course it's a it's a mix of people absolutely. it
0: sort of selfishly makes me hope uh that we get more libertarian converts as a result. You know, my, my friend Radley Balco, whose work I, I'm sure you know, he's one of the great criminal justice yeah. libertarian writers in the U.S., uh, uses an expression which is uh, libertarianism happens to people. So you you go through your life, and then as soon as you bump up against the government trying to strip your rights away, you know, the the, the light bulb goes off and you realize you're a libertarian. So I don't know, selfishly I hope that happens. But on the other hand, I'm, I'm you know, it's gratifying to see such a wide range of uh, political persuasions, because again, it it speaks to I think the the you know common sense
1: element to 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 the issue. Um, well, it's a marriage of convenience for some people. It has to be yeah. said, you know. I mean, yes, yeah, some of the people advocating for vaping are committed Hayekians or whatever. Yeah. but quite a few of the anti smoking people, you know, once they've finished with smoking, they'll go after vaping. I mean, this is a bit further down the road, but, I mean, that's what will happen. I think that the desire, not for everybody, but for a significant number of people, the desire is to stamp out nicotine use altogether, um, which is why you see more and more concern with, you know, about non-smokers taking up vaping, which, which they haven't done so far in large numbers in the UK, but presumably they will do, right? I mean, the, 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 the people, um, you know, young people, take up smoking all the time why wouldn't some of them take up vaping of course they will and when that happens then you get as you've seen in the u.s this high school youth vaping epidemic yeah. and all the moral panic around that and as soon as you've got a, a think of the children card to play things suddenly get much more tricky yeah. and in a way we've been fortunate that we haven't really had that That you know there hasn't been that much vaping in the high schools although i think it might be going up a bit yeah. now um, but, yeah, you know, it's, look, it's a marriage of convenience, you know, the, the, the public health authoritarians rubbing shoulders with the libertarians on this issue. But it, it, it's not a marriage that can last.
0: Right. Right. It's sort of like the uh, the, the converse of boot, boot, bootleggers and Baptists, I guess. Yeah. Um, well, you right, know, exactly. uh, Shri- I, I want to just touch, get back on something Lionel Shriver said in the discussion you had with her. And again, we'll put we'll post a link to that interview. It's really terrific. Mm-hmm. But she pointed out that. A lot of what's motivating the prohibition movement is what she called an element of the punitive, and that the you know the wars on tobacco had been going on so long and with so much vehemence that now that public health has the upper hand, there's a kind of I don't know if you call it a vendetta or vindictiveness or she she called it punitive. Tell us more about what 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 she what she meant by that.
1: Well, I think she was referring to this kind of Victorian attitude towards pleasure, you know, which it's always better to just submit to the, you know, the the iron rod and have a have a cold shower and um, you know stop trying to yeah. yourself, even if there's no mortal danger involved. Um, as I say, ex-smokers are particularly bad for this. They seem to think if they've given up cold turkey, everybody else should too. And you're kind of somehow using a loophole if you continue to consume nicotine so i i think that's what she meant i think she's absolutely got a point it's not just that though i would say i mean aside from the fact that you've got of course got all this money coming in and of course there's an element of mission creep in any movement so campaign for tobacco-free kids you know youth smoking continues falling like it is doing they're going to be completely out of work in a sane world very soon but they're taking on this battle against vaping as another dragon to slay. And again, you've got the industry aspect and this is what's really split public health is they really hate the tobacco industry, you know, and they've got their reasons for that. Um, but some time ago for some people in the movement, the battle against big tobacco took precedence over the battle for health or the battle against smoking. And the fact that vaping provides um, some kind of um, you know, life raft for the industry to continue, um, continue making money for you know, the foreseeable future, uh, or rest of our lives for sure. Um, they don't like that. They they just want to see big tobacco suffer. That's where you get policies like plain packaging, which don't do any good yeah. at all,
0: other than just annoy the
1: tobacco. Industry. Well, help me
0: understand, though. I mean, because so many of those same public health advocates, like uh, Vital Strategies, for example, and there's a long long list of others. Are on a soapbox about uh, harm reduction across the board, especially as it relates to various um, various kinds of drug use, like opioids, mm. for example. And I, I I sympathize and and share that view entirely. I've done a lot of work in this country on drug de- decriminalization, and um, so I agree with that. But it's it, it is it is absolutely mind bending to try to reconcile this Puritan anti-pleasure, punitive outlook on nicotine while those exact same people at the same time are saying, let's have harm reduction strategies on all these other kinds of drugs. I mean, h- how do you how do you see that?
1: Well, in the case of vital strategies, it's purely money, as far as I can see. I wrote about this not very long ago. I always assumed I'd never really heard of vital strategies until until I started you know, moaning about vaping. Uh, I just assumed it was some group that Bloomberg had set up, like he set up so many other groups. Um, I didn't realize that it used to be a kind of legitimate yeah. public health organization. And as a legitimate public health organization, one of its things, of course, was safe injecting rooms and methadone. Right. And harm reduction for, um, for for particularly intravenous drug users. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's absolutely um, yeah, crazy when you see them putting out full page ads in the newspaper saying that harm reduction saves lives while at the same time attacking vaping and doing everything it can to uh, to undermine it i mean it's it's heavily conflicted there and you have to assume that there are some old timers at the organisation who Really have to grit their teeth when they're putting up. Well, it's it. funny, you know, we we
0: linked, uh, we did a whole thread on vital strategies a few weeks ago on our, our Twitter feed, and one of the videos we showed. Yes, I
1: think that's what's in, that's what, what what's inspired my my blog post. Oh, good, good,
0: good. Yeah, we'll post that as well. And I, I you know, watching their little seminar that they had at their headquarters, in which Matt Myers spoke, yeah. <laughs> I I was less focused on his boilerplate words and more just on the faces in the audience because I, I I can't read their minds. I don't have clairvoyance, but it sure did look to me like a lot of eyebrows were raised very high indeed and not least that they were being so explicitly instructed how to think about their own specialty and it was just i don't know really striking to me
1: yeah yeah i, was, I saw the same videos it was uh, well something. you know you've
0: done a lot of good work too, um exposing uh the uh truth initiative which i think is one of the other great pernicious influences in this debate and it kind of gets me to a thought about the way that these groups view themselves in in opposition to the to the tobacco industry this kind of punitive approach because to my mind so much of what the truth initiative does cribs from the worst things that they imagine the tobacco industry had done for years so you've got Mm. you know dark money, and you've got, uh, you know, b- blatantly misleading ads, um, you know, n- no, sort of, you know, no, no restrictions on accuracy. I mean, th- it's as if they said, we're going to take all the worst things we th- that tobacco is over- and we're going to flip it around and use it, you know, for th- in the forces of goodness. Am I, am I overreading that? Or do you see the same kind of overreach?
1: No, it's, yeah, you're absolutely right, um, and it's such a shame that journalists won't won't cover it, um, because that's exactly what is happening. Is that you know the the self proclaimed good, good guys are doing exactly the same thing as what the, uh, the the bad guys are doing, and yeah, I guess some people can can see it. You know, the Truth Initiative. I, I only see their stuff on Twitter, and it just again it blows my mind every time I see it. You know, this, some of those organisations you have in the states, they just lie so blatantly to people. And you've got them, you've got Stanton Glantz over there, you've got the, like, the Third Hand Smoke yeah. Resource Centre in California, which is just a hilarious organisation, yeah. but it's funded by the taxpayers as if it's some kind of serious um, research institute. Um, and you've got the, like, the smoke-free movies people. I follow them on Twitter. They're quite funny because they're, they're always counting how many cigarettes are seen in a film. And, right, you know, right. They suggest that this should be rated X or whatever. So, I mean, these are real hardcore uh, puritanical fanatics you know um and it's bizarre to me that they get any money from um from the states or even from bloomberg really i mean they seem so far away. i know it but uh, I mean, yeah yeah i mean yeah they're using the same tactics and they don't get called up on it precisely for that reason because it's about tobacco as far as journalists are concerned so you go to a journalist and say, look, these guys are acting just like big tobacco, and I go, well, hang on. they're they're opposing big tobacco. You know, why would they do that? They, this is white white hat bias, uh, which makes it very difficult to convince anyone that you know this is what's really going on. Because again, the journalists, they don't know for sure. They don't want to start taking our side on yeah. this in case in 10 years' time it turns out that actually vaping is incredibly dangerous and there's a whole ream of secret documents showing that the vaping industry knew this all along right? because they can't get out of that 20th century mindset. Well,
0: you'll be be amused to know that I'm I'm, I'm getting ready to confront uh, my trade association, the Public Relations Society of America, um, because they've got uh, Truth Initiative is up for one of their top awards um, uh, for the ad campaign that they've been running. Uh, this last year, and the point I'm going to make to them publicly is, you know, wait a second, you know, our, our the public relations industry catches hell all the time for, you know, uh, misinformation and flackery and, you know, saying things that are inaccurate and manipulating the public and these guys that you're featuring as an award finalist are doing all those things they are using a front group to make an explicitly bogus claim about vaping and, you know, anxiety or psychological issues, something that's contradicted by information on their own website uh, and, 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 you know, using a front group with no accountability. I mean, it's every single thing that people fault the PR industry for. And instead of like, you know, kicking these guys out of the ballroom, you're going to invite them up on stage and pat them on the back.
1: Yeah. I mean, just the fact that they're called the Truth Initiative, I know. really, it's kind of Orwellian. It's yeah. like, they, they, it's almost as if, like, well, the, the more blatant we make this, the, right. <laughs> the less likely we are to be discovered. We call ourselves a Truth Initiative and then lie to people all the time. People will think that's too ironic to yeah. be, yeah, you know, to be. If rude. you thought
0: hubris was the highest level, just hold our beer. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about uh, in the minutes we got left on on the media coverage because um, we're uh. We're seeing a few very, you know, striking trends in the way that we're interacting with press. And I guess to put a headline on it, it would be our our, our efforts to to push for factual corrections with the press, like set aside our, our, you know, our hope that they might cover the issue in some reasonable or balanced way. I'm talking just about pure accuracy. So. Politico, for example, continues to report that our group AVM and others like us are what they call pro youth vaping, and we've tried to we've <laughs> tried to explain to them, look, that's just it's pejorative, explicitly untrue, um, not at all we've said, and you know flat wrong, and we demand that you withdraw it, um, and yet they won't. Uh, another example of Politico is they they keep insisting that. Uh, things like nicotine uh, or synthetic nicotine um, or black and gray markets with vaping are what they call inadvertent outcomes uh, from FDA policy. And we're trying to say, no, it, it's not it, It's not inadvertent because we told FDA that was going to happen years ago. We've been t- warning them all along that these effects will occur from the regulations. So, you know, pick a different adjective but, you know, surprising or inadvertent or unexpected, those, that's not correct. And yet, despite having conversations with the editor, written and verbal, they just seem in, indifferent to it. And the same thing's true with the New York Times. Uh, they had a recent piece uh, on uh, synthetic nicotine, and the headline of the piece, was that synthetic nicotine is what they call what they said quote is fueling a return return to teen vaping, and again we reached out to the editors and the reporter there and said look there's a lot of different ways you can describe this but youth vaping is down sixty percent over the last two years there's no way in the whole of the English language that could be described as a return, um, and again it's just total indifference and I, and I, I what the reason I'm stressing this is because. In years past, at least when you confronted the press about basic manifest accuracy and, and, and requested an, a correction, I mean, you might get some weaselly excuses or some half-hearted clarification. Or, well, there's lots of ways they try to wiggle out of it, but I rarely have ever seen major outlets that take themselves as seriously as those two simply drift through the red light
1: without a care in the world yeah well, the New York Times has definitely gone, hill, gone downhill over the years, even I know that and I don't read really, it um very often and I mean he's very frustrating and short of actually you know filing a, a libel case, there's not a lot you can do if they don't feel like you know t- telling the story in an accurate accurate way but you know the, the whole climate of the American media is as far as I can see a bit highly anti vaping it feeds off itself to the extent that as in as in Australia you would just regularly see it reported as a fact yeah. that vaping is a gateway um that it's as dangerous as smoking or very similar or even worse um and what can you do other than other than you know, write to the editor or, or, you know, ask him to print a correction and, and hope he has some kind of conscience.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've been we've been, sh- we've been putting those letters uh, in whole on our Twitter feed, sharing them among our communities, because I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's not up to the New York Times, whether they're credible or not, it's up to the readers. And so we're exposing that publicly, and especially the way that uh, journalists like the, the New York Times reporter Christina Jewett um, seem to be completely unconcerned with uh, with accuracy and the uh, the naked hypocrisy of that Um, but it makes me think Chris back to the do you remember the 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 Oscar winning film uh, from about uh, 20 plus years ago called The Insider starring Al Pacino and um, Russell Crowe right for for those who don't recall it was a film about how CBS News had uh, pursued an expose on the tobacco industry and I think what's relevant about it now is that At the time, what CBS was doing was really breakthrough journalism because so few news outlets had really kind of cracked through the veil um, in the tobacco industry. And a lot of them, you know, hadn't scrutinized it to to that level. And so it was a real breakthrough. And and when that occurred, people were able to see, oh, wow, you know, this had not really been covered as much as it deserved to. And um, this was a real public health breakthrough. And I, I get the same sense. Maybe I'm too optimistic, but, you know. Uh, My hope is that before too long, people are going to realize, hey, wait a second. All this carrying water for Bloomberg and the FDA and others has meant that millions of people have gone back to smoking cigarettes and we scaremongered millions of others from attempting to quit. I mean, am I am I hoping, wishing
1: wishing on a star there? Well, if somebody would make a Hollywood film about it, obviously, that would be uh, highly beneficial to us. Um, And it's not totally impossible. Like I say, it's really not. Out of the question that someone will make a Netflix documentary about it. There's certainly plenty of content there. I mean, just the Vali thing on its own would be a good half hour of um, you know, mind-blowing footage or uh, you know uh, filmmaking. Um, so yeah, I mean you're right. The Insider did really popularize the whole thing, and I think a lot of people's conceptions of uh, the, this whole issue is still informed by that film, which I thought, by the way, was really boring. It's like three hours long, and the only kind of exciting bit in it, if you can use that word, is when um, the guy, what's he called, Jeff uh, Weinand, yeah. finds a bullet in his mailbox <laughs> and the implication is somebody from the tobacco industry has put it there. And he, oh, okay, this is spicing up a bit. And right at the end of the film, it says everything in this film was true apart from the thing with the bullet in the right. mailbox. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> like, well, why did he put it in there? You know, but, but at least, you know, go back to what you say, at least he admitted it was wrong, which apparently the, the New York Times isn't doing. I mean, the, the synthetic nicotine thing, I find extraordinary as well. I don't know how much discussion there's been about that in America. But I mean, very obviously, synthetic nicotine is not by any stretch of the imagination a, a tobacco product. That's yeah. why people are using right. it. because, it, yeah. And so the, the, the reclassification of e-cigarettes as tobacco products in the first place didn't make any sense. Yeah. We certainly don't do in this country. I'm not sure there's that many other countries also define it specifically as tobacco products when it obviously don't contain any tobacco. But then, in a perfectly predictable way, as you say, um, the industry shifted towards synthetic nicotine, which I gather is more expensive, but still, nobody can accuse it of being a tobacco product, right? It's made in a lab, but that doesn't matter. And the FDA just carries on and just says, no, this is basically a tobacco product too. And I don't know if there's been much pushback from people about this very clear, you know, irrational and illogical, uh, arbitrary decision, which just proves that all they're interested in doing is is regulating vaping. It's got nothing to do. With well,
0: there has been, you know, to an extent. I mean, you know, it, I, I had long conversations with several news outlets, including Politico, for example, about the way they were covering that forthcoming uh, congressional action to increase FDA's purview, and. You know, we, you know, we got nowhere on a lot of those, you know, what I think are pretty obvious cut and dried points with them. But, but, but more importantly, are the half dozen plus lawsuits in uh, federal district courts all over the country, um, all of which contain, if I'm not mistaken, uh, at least in part, the argument that you're making that, that regulating vaping is outside of FDA's proper jurisdiction in the first place. Um, and should be, you know, the way they're implementing it is, is additionally uh, unlawful. Um, and so how those play out, I think, is really the most important battlefront on the issue. You know, what's striking about it is that a lot of eight federal agencies, not just FDA, but others, too, have been indulging this practice in recent years of whether where they just push their interpretation of the law to whatever lengths they please And then, you know, enjoy themselves for several years until and unless the federal courts rein them back in. And so there's been this kind of tug of war tension between the administrative, the executive branch, rather, and the uh, judiciary. And that appears to be what's happening here, because if you look at the way that those federal judges have interacted with FDA's attorneys, it's been pretty stringent. Um, And that includes the U.S. Supreme Court, by the way, which has has reviewed the variety of cases that are now at the appellate court level. So, you know, here's hoping that the judiciary gives them, uh, gives FDA, you know, a, a much deserved smackdown on their overreach here. But, you know, outside of that, it's, it's, it's tough to see. I mean, Vapors, yes, are broadly aware of these issues. We've been fighting it tooth and nail, but trying to get through to, you know, the journalists who, you know, posture themselves as federal regulatory insider experts don't you know um trying to get through to them on even the basics has been um has been you know very frustrating
1: yeah well perhaps that's your best hope is is the courts i mean they have um they have been in the past from time to time and it's something that you have uh, to a greater extent than we do in britain is a kind of independent judiciary or more importantly just you know you've got a constitution so the government can't just make things up and change your rules as it as it goes along um, so yeah, I mean that that seems to me um, uh, probably the most likely solution, unfortunately, because it doesn't look like the FDA is going to um, come to its senses voluntarily. Now, correct, correct. And the climate of it isn't really on your side. Well, uh,
0: as as a way to wrap our chit chat, you, I uh, hope you didn't mind. I, I cheekily, to borrow a British expression, I cheekily made our top our uh, topics with uh, kind of British allusions, and you're making me recall. Was it Sir Walter Raleigh, the uh, uh, one of the king's servants who first brought tobacco to European shores?
1: Yeah, well, not a servant, but yeah, he was a, well, he was a pirate, really. And one of the queen's pals, if, if memory serves. Mm. Until she executed. <laughs> I, wasn't, I think maybe, maybe it was under James who got executed. Well, I was, I was, I was, uh, I was about executed. to
0: joke, if you could go back in time and kill baby Sir Walter Raleigh, would you do it? But I guess they did it.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, not for not for smoking. There were plenty of people around that time who were executed for smoking, but he wasn't one of them. Uh, I mean, the first, I think start off my book by saying that the the I think literally the first European to smoke tobacco was imprisoned by the Inquisition for doing so when he got back to Spain. That's
0: amazing. That's amazing. Well, that's a good way to wrap, Chris. Uh, tell us how our listeners can follow your work.
1: I'm um, on Twitter, uh, well, as you can see, CJ Snowden. Uh, my blog is Velvet Glove Iron Fist. Just Google that. It should come up. Um, the IEA website is iea.org.uk. Um, that's probably enough. I'm not on Facebook. Um, so, okay. yeah. Follow me on Twitter. I'm mostly most active on Twitter. And you've got a YouTube channel as well. Well, kind of, yeah. I do a show every two weeks. Um, the swift half with Snowden, so that's the Lionel Shriver interview you mentioned before. She had a great rant, as you've already kind of alluded to. She had a kind of five ten minute rant about vaping. I hadn't even mentioned it to her before we we did the interview. I just remember years ago she wrote a pro vaping article for the Guardian because she was a vapor. Um, and so she she has she's never written about it since as far as I could tell, but she's certainly been keeping up with the topic and she's very angry about it.
0: That's great. That's great. What makes me think of the uh, did you see the the controversy about the, the creator of the graphic novel Mouse, whose name is Art Spiegelman? Um, no. Well, there was a controversy. He's a famous comics illustrator. At any rate, he was in the news recently and he's a vapor. And one of the, one of the magazines asked him, Hey, why do you, how'd you get, get into vaping? He had a great answer, which was as soon as I st- started seeing the New York times vilifying it, I knew it was something I had to try. Not <laughs> so, yet. <laughs> um, well, that's great, Christopher. Thank you uh, for joining. Count us in as a guest, by the way, on any of your um, platforms, if you'd like, and here's hoping that we can uh, raise a pint of stout on uh, these shores or yours before too long
1: yes great speaking to you Take yeah care. really enjoyed it thanks Christopher Goodbye. we'll
0: be back next week with uh, Amanda and another Shaping Vaping thanks everybody